The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening with us here on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you also for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook. We have a Spirit of Recovery page. It's great to get your likes. It's great to get your comments. And uh, every week we post what our topic's going to be. And then after the uh, program, we post the MP3 up there. So you can always listen to the program that's just been on so thanks for going on our facebook page also thank you for emailing me and letting me know what's happening in your recovery and your spirituality walk and thank you for letting your friends the people in your recovery community the people in your unity community people in all of your spiritual communities your families and friends know about us here on spirit of recovery broadcasting on unity online radio Org. And thank you for letting me know that what we're doing here is making a difference for you, that it's touching your heart, opening your mind, giving you some good ideas, some inspiration, some new ideas about recovery and spirituality and getting you thinking. You know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can certainly listen live via your computer or your smartphone, and you can uh, listen on demand. We've got lots of great archives. Just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery. You can find years' worth of archives, great guests, great topics. I want you to know that the Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, perhaps you're in your own recovery as the family member or friend, perhaps your family member or friend is or isn't in recovery, you may or may not be in recovery as a family member or friend, but whoever you are, whatever um, your interest is, we're glad to have you listening and you're welcome to participate to ask a question of my guest or you can uh, email it in or call it in, question or comment about the topic. We're glad you're listening and welcome you to participate. Perhaps you're just curious about uh, the process of recovery. You're just looking for some more information. Glad you're here and uh, glad you're listening. And again, you're welcome to participate. I want to let you know also that if you like what's happening on Unity um, Online Radio.org, and if you'd uh, like to support Spirit of Recovery and the other many wonderful programs on this online radio network, you can financially support it. Uh, you can do that very easily. You can text via your smartphone, Unity Radio, to 72727, and you can make a one-time financial contribution or make a recurring contribution. Um, any any support you give is really welcomed, and we're uh, glad if you would like to do that. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship 
many people that have the disease of addiction. And over 33 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And my walk continues to be an integration of the unity principles, recovery principles. And that keeps me transforming my life and keeps me growing. And I am very grateful. So I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you to bring you great guests and great topics and to hear what's happening for you on your spirituality and recovery walk. Today, uh, our topic is our amazing brain, the physiology of recovery. And, uh, you know, the human brain and body are amazingly sensitive and resilient. And as you'll hear my guest uh, talking about in just a little bit, um, he talks about our brain and body as the magical host. Um, and he'll tell us more about what he means by that. Recovery, of course, opens the pathway to physiological health and well-being, as well as, of course, mental health, emotional health, psychological health, spiritual health. And uh, it helps us to, uh, recovery helps to support a new perspective on living and helps us to learn new behaviors that will sustain that well-being. My guest today is Pete Katz. Pete has uh, a Bachelor of Arts. He's a licensed uh, drug and alcohol counselor. He is an uh, alcohol drug and counselor at Level 3 Diplomate in the International um, Consortium of Addiction Counselors and Addiction Professionals. He has a wealth of background and a wealth of experience in the field of alcohol and drug counseling, addiction counseling, and uh, supporting people in recovery and also doing prevention work. He has um, been a consulting member for years of the Consultant Exchange Database and of the Center for Substance Abuse Treatment of the uh, Mental Health, the United States Mental Health um, and Addiction Recovery uh, Organization that's part of the United States government, which does great work. And uh, Pete's been a member of that for over two decades. He's a consultant. He's an educator. He's an inventor. Uh, Pete Katz founded the Pedro Gatos Institute on Addiction, Health, and Social Theory in 1998, and he has facilitated uh, literally hundreds of workshops for uh, people that are uh, working toward recovery, for professionals that are working with clients. He has taught um, college-level classes and on pharmacology, addiction theory, and he has uh, invented and patented a cutting-edge alcohol and other drug assessment process and has been granted a U.S. patent and uh, in that in 2003. He's also uh, just uh, authored and pre- is pre- presenting a cutting-edge eight-hour marijuana intervention curriculum, and he began piloting that in 2012. Um, in addition uh, to all of that, Pete has served over a 1,000 justice system clients in Austin, Texas. So he's got lots of rich experience um, in the field of recovery and in the, the field of the pharmacology of recovery and, and uh, prevention and why all that really matters. So, uh, Pete, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thanks for being my guest. Well, thank you, Reverend. It's a great honor to be on your uh, program to be invited to be uh, a part of a great Great initiative that you evidently been involved in for some time. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's great, and um, uh, really glad that you're here. So you know, again, Pete, you've been you've been at this for a long time and, and helping people with recovery and helping people understand really what happens to the body and the brain when we um, get involved with with chemicals. And it's not like you know, there's there's a lot to it. So. Tell us a little bit about, first of all, you have a wonderful concept that you call the magical host. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, I, uh, I think it's important that, that when people, you know, people that tend to uh, be or have been involved with uh, any kind of chemical use, whether it be alcohol or any other type of drug, we tend to empower or find that these, or, or think that drugs have these magical powers because they do exert uh, or facilitate powerful, or are part of the facilitation of powerful changes in the brain that result in the feeling states that evidently people uh, find rewarding or else they wouldn't go back to the same drug, for instance. And uh, my interest has really just been when I started to discover that that really 
you know, a drug cannot introduce any fundamentally new capability in, in the human brain, that it only acts to uh, enhance, block, facilitate, or otherwise uh, somehow moderate a natural uh, brain or body function. And that the real magic, of course, is uh, in the human body and brain. So, for, for instance, I think most of our audience uh, are aware of the fight-or-flight types of circumstances when we've been so scared our heart is racing or those types of things. And, or the common saying, oh, you look like a deer in headlights. You know, they, you know animals have the same instinctual fight-or-flight defense kind of deal. And when, and when fight-or-flight occurs, when we feel that our life is in danger, whether it's a soldier on a battlefield with bullets flying, automatically the body has a mind of its own, and it goes into a mode of self-preservation. And so the heart rate speeds up so, you know, the blood can be coursed through the body and it can carry the oxygen uh, the increased oxygen needs to the brain as well as the oxygen needs to the large muscle group so you can run faster if you're being chased by somebody or if bullets are flying, um, people have indicated that they can almost see the bullet in flight uh, when their life is at risk because uh, the, the, it's not that the bullet is slowing down, of course, it's that, that our brain is uh, speeding up. And so our pupils will dilate in this kind of mode so that we're seeing everything that's possible out there. Our brain's taking in all of these images, all in an effort to understand and to uh, uh, figure out how to best survive this circumstance. We're sweating profusely. All of these things are going on. And, and when you look at somebody, for instance, that's um, uh, on methamphetamine or any type of stimulant, you'll see simply that, the the exact thing is mimicked. You'll, if you shine a flashlight into the pupils of someone that is on a stimulant, their pupils will be completely dilated. Uh, of course, their heart will be racing. Their their uh, blood and in, uh, in bronchial it's really bronchodilation. The bronchial pathways, the pathways in which blood and then oxygen, of course, can get into the lungs. Uh, they, they, they dilate, they get larger so that they, we can take in more oxygen, it can be then absorbed by the blood distributed to the body. And so really it's not the drug introducing anything that the body is not already capable of doing, um, yet the, uh, we tend to really empower drugs as being magical. And no, no, it's not drugs, it's, um, it's really uh, the human body. Now in medicine, I think, you know, there's a stronger argument to be made for some of the magical nature of of uh, how uh, many of these drugs can do wonderful things. But still, even there, they're actually uh, uh, they're adapting to, adopting, and working through the normal and negotiating the rules of the human body uh, of physiology in order to reach their side of action, in order to you know, to, to exercise that side of action, et cetera, and stuff. So um, that's kind of, in a nutshell, I think what's really important is that when we start to learn how, uh, how sacred the human body and brain is by studying it, uh, then we begin to, I think, get a better idea of where the real magic lies. Right. You know, you make a really important point, and so I'm going to ask you to give us a few more details about this without getting it too technical. But... Um, it's true. What you're saying is that many people think that when you take, and we're speaking of, you know, drugs of uh, uh, addiction or so-called, whatever the term would be, recreational use of drugs or whatever, that's not a good term, but whatever it is, that people think, yes, the drug that makes me feel good, but you're right, it has nothing to do with that. It's the drug regulating the neurotransmitters in the brain. It, it just either floods your brain with your own neurotransmitters or restricts them or whatever. And that's just fascinating. It has, you know, it's not the drug that's making you feel better, just what you're saying. That, that's accurate, right? And t- tell us a little bit more about that. Well, right. I mean, it, it really gets down to just understanding basic how, how the brain works. And it really is not that, of course, the brain is the most complicated and complex entity in the history of our knowledge. 
but it's fairly simple, some of the basic ways in which it operates. And you've got 100 billion brain cells. I don't know how they come up with this number, but if you go into, which I've done, a number of pharmacology or, or neurochemistry books and look at, you know, you see this 100 billion all the time, but, but, the, but the brain cells themselves within the brain communicate to each other not through language, not like me and you are now talking on the radio here, but they, they communicate through chemistry. They communicate through, you know, neuro is a prefix for brain. Neuro, uh, so neurochemicals, or people may have heard neurotransmitters or whatever you want to call them, but there's a whole number of different neurotransmitters, dozens of them, the main ones that people may be aware of are things like, you know, serotonin or dopamine or, uh, of course, even adrenaline, epinephrine, you know, that fight or flight thing we were just talking about. That's epinephrine. Um, so these different parts of the brain, generally a, a neuron will create uh, generally one type or, or communicate with one type or so of these neurotransmitters. Some of them are excitatory, some of them are are inhibitory, like GABA is inhibitory and that type of thing. But to your point, just to make it more understandable, like with a, a situation with a drug like cocaine, for instance, um, mm -hmm. at that junction between where these two cells meet, which is called a synapse, these chemicals are released and they land on the, the adjoining uh, neuron on a, what's called a receptor site, which is basically just a protein that has a, uh, it's like a key that has to be specifically made. These chemicals are specifically configured into a, a unique pattern, and that identifies them as a specific chemical that can have a change on that receptor of the next cell. And if it does that, then there's a communication that can go on, and it can create a uh, an opening into the the, uh, the the adjoining uh, brain cell where then, a, you know, a channel opens up and these positive and negative particles, kind of ions, flow in there and it causes an electrical change of, a, of, the, of, the, uh, uh, of that cell itself so that it can transfer that message to the next cell and next cell and et cetera, et cetera. But the point I'm trying to get to with cocaine is normally these feel-good like dopamine, neurotransmitters are sitting there in the synapse. Some of them are landing on the receptor site, having this reaction, this excitatory reaction. But most of them are reuptake back into the cell that released it, so that you could, you know, use it for a later day. Just, you know, just like if you made dinner tonight and you had leftovers, you put them in the refrigerators for tomorrow. But, but all cocaine does is block. It blocks the reuptake of this feel-good chemical, so instead of it getting reuptake, this extra chemical getting reuptake, it stays there in the synapse then, and as soon as this other uh, action wears off with all these other molecules of dopamine and this excitatory response that it's eliciting, there's more dopamine that can jump right on, and so it does, and you have continual excitation. Uh, mm -hmm. But just to complete the example, if... Um, over time, then we get depleted of our own neurotransmitter, but also when there's so much of that positive neurotransmitter out there that, that uh, there's, a, there's a, a biological law of nature that we are part of, of course, which is adaptation. And, and the cell just adapts by saying, you know, we don't need so many receptors here. There's so much of this dopamine out here and we can shut down all these receptors. It's a term called down regulation. So it just regulates down, shuts down these very important parts of the cell. And then, uh, you know, tomorrow when I get thrown in jail for cocaine possession, I can't get to my cocaine anymore, and I spend a year at the state jail here in Texas, uh, at some point, pretty quick, uh, I am feeling the pain of having a brain that has changed in a way that now I am craving just to feel good chemical, just to feel normal. And I'm not feeling normal. I'm feeling very withdrawn, very depressed, and 
that type of thing. So you're right. I mean, it is just a, a brain chemistry uh, manipulation that's going on. Right. Thank you so much. Thanks for that. Uh, clear. It's, it's incredible. It's time for our first break. Um, our topic today is our amazing brain, the physiology of recovery. My guest is Pete Katz, and uh, he is the founder of the Pedro Gatos Institute on Addiction, Health, and Social Theory. And he is a drug and alcohol counselor, has been that, doing that for many years, has a wealth of, of background in all this, doing lots of training and, and development. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Chris Michaels, host of Healing Your Life on Unity Online Radio, is an author, life coach, national speaker, and the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Living in Kansas City, Missouri. Through his writing, coaching, and speaking, Chris has helped thousands of people understand the basic spiritual principles that govern our lives. In his book, Your Soul's Assignment, he reminds us that we each have something to do here on Earth, a unique purpose to our lives. If you're interested in discerning what is yours to do, are looking for practical spiritual principles to inspire your life, or coaching to provide you with the tools to live more fully, visit Chris's website at www.chrismichaels.net. That's www.chrismichaels.net. for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host. Our topic today is our amazing brain, the physiology of recovery. And my guest is Pete Katz. Pete uh, is a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. He's also licensed at the diplomate level in the International uh, Consortium of Addiction and uh, Counselors. He is also the founder of the Pedro Gatos Institute on Addiction, Health, and Social Theory, which is in Austin, Texas. He has uh, been a professor at the college level, talk, uh, teaching classes on pharmacology and addiction theory. He has invented and patented an alcohol and other drug assessment process, which has been trademarked by the U.S. Patent Office. And he has authored and presents a cutting-edge eight-hour marijuana intervention curriculum, as well as teaching countless courses uh, to those who are uh, working on their recovery and also to professionals who work with clients working on recovery. Recovery. Before I get back to my conversation with Pete, I'd like to uh, ask you to join me in a brief moment to allow our brains to relax and allow our bodies to relax in the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to uh, share a constructive idea with me, to be aware of your breath as it comes in and goes out, to allow yourself to relax from the crown of your head all the way through your body, and share with me this constructive idea. My brain and my body are amazing. I care for them with love and wisdom. My brain and my body are amazing. I care for them with love and wisdom. And we take just a moment in the quiet.
thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I hope that it was an opportunity for you to make conscious contact with your higher power as you understand it and to allow yourself to relax. Now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Pete Katz, and our topic, Our Amazing Brain, The Physiology of Recovery. So, Pete, before the break, you gave us a, a really good uh, explanation. Thank you. It is not easy to do. Uh, it's really not easy to do without without some graphics, but you did a great job of, of talking about how the how drugs just, you know, as one of my classmates put it, mess with your neurotransmitters. And... Um, Back and uh, so, tell us a little more about about the brain. You you know, as you said earlier, and a lot of people say the brain is the most complex organ that we have. What does that really mean? Yeah, well, thanks for for uh, the meditation. Um, I think uh, to your point, to your question, uh, yeah, you hear the the complexity of the human brain, and everybody goes, well, yeah. Um, it's really complex, and nobody argues that that fact. And but for me, I didn't really appreciate and take it to heart until uh, discovering a couple of things that I think might be of interest to um, our audience. But but we mentioned that there was a hundred billion brain cells, and it's interesting that the synapse that we were talking about, where all this kind of change and communication occurs, these 100 billion brain cells, they average thousands of synapses. So if you can imagine that uh, some may have 10,000 or more connections, uh, so everything you do, I mean, we know this, we've heard this, everything we think, everything we feel, everything we, whether, whatever we do are basically synaptic connections that are going on in our brain. And as you learn something new, and for like someone like you who is very skilled perhaps at meditation, for me, I'm fairly weak in that area, but you have been practicing it so long, you have been developing pathways that allow you to access uh, areas and probably calmness or whatever that, I would need to continue to work at it quite some time to perhaps kind of get to whatever. In other words, anything that we do, if it's learning how to knit, uh, if it's shooting free throws at the free throw line, after I shoot that free throw a thousand times, I'm just building a a synaptic pathway. And, and, And so are behaviors. Behaviors are the same type of pathways. But to back up, the complexity of the brain, I think, for me at least, really hit home when I realized that if you take the 100 billion brain cells and you multiply it by the average number of synapses that we were referring to, and I, I'm citing you know, outcomes from someone like uh, the neuroscientist Gerald Elderman, who was a Nobel Prize-winning uh, neuroscientist. He, he indicated that if you counted the synapses in a single brain at the rate of one per second, it would take 32 million years to count all the synapses in a single human brain. Um, And before meditating on that, I even found another interesting way of of, uh, uh, approximating this number, and it was the complexity. It's the number of neurons when you multiply it by the synapses. If we had a supercomputer that could count a 1,000 synapses per second. Imagine that. I can count to about two or three in a second. But if you could count to a thousand every second and had a supercomputer that could do that, it could count all your synapses, it would still take that computer thousands of years to count all the synapses in a single human brain. So I think the point that strikes home to me is we live in a culture that tends to try to we have wonderful medications, but we tend to over-medicate everything to some extent. And when you're dealing with the environment, namely the human brain, with this type of complexity, there is absolutely no way to really appreciate what rippling affects many of the unintended consequences that this chemistry change that all drugs create may occur in the brain. And that's kind of been the history of a lot of different 
medications and drugs that have hit the market that after a number of years or even less, considerably less, some biochemistries, some people's bodies who, uh, that may be more sensitive to these types of deals may develop uh, these types of um, uh, undesirable effects at, at, at rates that are hard uh, to measure. But just, just, just that fact of, of whatever we know about the brain, and believe me, we uh, have made incredible, incredible advances, I would still say based on the number of synapses that we, this is a frontier that uh, is, we're just scratching the surface, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about a, a person in recovery when, um, okay, somebody maybe have been has been in addiction uh, to a substance or as a, a family member or friend in a way you can, can get addicted to your own adrenaline in some sense. You get used to that anxious response and almost can kind of cultivate it when that's active. What happens to the brain when a person gets into recovery and stays in recovery? Well, the one thing that happens is is it's natural. <laughs> you know, I mean, we all, I think, um, you know, we all have monsters in our closet, so to speak, or whatever that people have to learn to deal with. And, 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 I, and, and I just believe, I mean, I, again, I think as much as possible, being able to, uh, to try not to add new, new chemistry in to the brain is a good thing. So of course, some, some uh, I mean, as we know, uh, some people are, have, have very, very severe mental, mental illness issues around depression and, and those types of things that, that, uh, that certainly need uh, interventions of sorts, including uh, um, medications at times for sure. Um, however, when we look at all the people that are on these medications in, in our country, we can safely, I think, surmise that we are an over-medicated uh, society. But to your question as to the, I think as you get into, you know, the, the thing about a recovery-oriented lifestyle is, is that what, what occurs is your brain has an ecology. It's like anything else. And this living ecology, it... Uh, uh, whatever uh, has occurred in our past with our uh, drug-taking past or whatever the individual's past has been, you know, I think the really, really neat and unknown side of all this is the resilience of the human brain and body as well. You know, the, the resilience, of course, is, you know, taking uh, a licking and keep on ticking. And so what I think happens for so many people is when, especially early in recovery, is it it uh, it it doesn't normal does not feel as good as it perhaps used to, and that's the nature of addiction. Is that this pleasure pathway that we have, this natural reward, you know, when you're visiting with a really good friend, or you're uh, watching a really good movie, or you're um, Anything that gives you pleasure that's not being created from sex or from an outside chemical, that if I've been using drugs for a good period of time, that whole, and this includes marijuana, by the way, that, that you know, people that use marijuana regularly for a good period of time, when they stop, it, things that normally gave them interest no longer are that interesting. I mean, in other words, their pathway has been has been uh, affected in such a way, but over time and over uh, you know getting involved in exercise and other more natural types of highs that manipulate our own chemistry a little bit, this stuff gets to you know to be rebuilt and stuff. So I do think that those are the things that not to, you know in, in recovery that everyone should be thinking about. Is you gotta. Life is, it's important to feel good, and, and there's plenty of ways to do it, and the old, just watch kids, watch kids playing in a playground, and say, man, how can they be having so much fun, you know, and I think we need to do the same, and, and, and that helps rejuvenate uh, the brain, it, you know, the brain is related to the body, the body is related to the brain, and, and, uh, and I think, 
you know, this whole nature of spirituality and getting connected and uh, realizing these different uh, uh, really, really interesting types of uh, connections that we all that we all have uh, is another you know healthy uh, pathway as well. I think everyone's a little bit different. Everyone still has gravitates towards things that they find more gratification in than someone else does and finding the things that, that you like and the passions that you have and, you know, jumping into them full, full throttle and, and then finding a doctor that's uh, sensitive to the issues that, yeah, if I have to be on a medication for blood pressure or for this or for that, I mean, I'm going to follow your advice, but I, I want it to be a doctor that is very, very aware of, uh, how important it is to me that I live in a way that uh, I'm as chemical-free as uh, uh, as possible. I think that would be my advice. Mm-hmm. That's great. So it's sort of like, um, I know sometimes it, with people are in early recovery, again, whether it's family member or friend or somebody that's, you know, been addicted to a substance or a, a process, um, you know, like um, gambling or pornography or spending or something like that it's it's at first people don't you don't feel so good and that's okay and that for sometimes people can get tripped up or get discouraged but it's what mm-hmm. you're saying you have to keep building forward and uh, finding rebuilding almost rebuilding those pathways and and getting those those brain connections back in in a more um maybe a more middling order where you, where you feel good in that kind of a way instead of having the big pendulum swings yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's there's people that are arguing, uh, and and they're and and just to back up, you know, you introduced me as a um, uh, a college professor. I did teach, but it was a it's a community college. I don't have an advanced degree. For my my knowledge has come from studying a, a lot things that are interesting to me, and I've always had a little bit of. Uh, more trouble than other people sometimes understanding stuff. So by the time I understand some, something, uh, it's been really, it's really neat because I feel like it's been easier for me to explain it to other people that ask me a question about those types of things. But, uh, so I was at the community college level doing, doing a lot of this deal, but the most I have always learned from clients and people in this field, other professionals. And what you find is that, uh, sometimes, like, some of the addictions are much more powerful changes to the brain. I think, like, stimulant addiction is a, is a big, big, uh, powerful change there. And uh, so while some people may argue some sorts of uh, uh, medication may be appropriate, I, I don't have an opinion on that because I'm not a doctor uh, in that nature. But I do know this. That when you look at the at the types of programs that have been more successful uh, with this kind of brain uh, loss of of, of uh, pleasurable uh, feeling uh, aptitude, if you want to call it that, that they they it, it's really interesting that they'll this guy Richard Ralston, I remember him uh, created this intervention that that. Uh, uh, when when your brain starts taking you towards wanting to use that drug again, at some point it'll take you to a, a, a place where we pass into a, an absolute, you know, compulsion, you know. And when you get there, that you're in a very, very bad place. You're being swept towards that drug. So he taught or their group taught a, a, a intervention where people would put a rubber band around their wrist and when they started going in a direction, whether it was a cue or something that was taking them in the wrong direction, they would, they, they would first of all, be practicing visual imageries and where they would, you know, this meditation thing that would take you to a certain place. Or, uh, and, and so when they felt themselves slipping towards a, uh, uh, this drug tendency, before they got to the compulsion state, they would hit that rubber band, flap themselves, and go right to the visual imagery so it would, like, take, it, take them away from where their mind was taking them and to another place. Or, or just real quickly, another analogy that I think is, is even more appropriate, it's, it, it's like a two-year-old 
you know, you, uh, there was a two or three year old kid comes in with his mom the other day in the store, and I noticed that he was uh, screaming about where is Johnny? I guess it was her boyfriend or something. And her boyfriend, is, you know, she says, uh, oh, no, he's running over to the other store to pick something up. He'll be back in 20 minutes. Well, this two-year-old kid or three-year-old kid, that was unacceptable. You know, he wanted that man or that friend or whatever there now, and he was getting ready to throw a fit, and he was really upset. You couldn't use logic. You can't use logic against a compulsion thing type thing. So it's almost like, in order to change a two-year-old's, they're locked in on something, it's almost like you got to take a beach ball and bounce it off their head, you know, and they go, oh, and they, and they look the other direction, and that's the only way you get them off that deal, you know. So, um, but to the point of uh, having faith, you know, and having faith that over time, you, you know, your brain does, it, it, just like we were talking about neuroadaptation earlier, about how it shuts certain things down and all that, well, it also will adapt to whatever uh, deficits have been created and will try to recreate uh, and make up for those deficits. And that does, that does take time. So, um, you know, again, these natural highs are really, really important, uh, getting involved with stuff and, and, and good exercise, good nutrition, and, and those types of things are, are usually a big part of the, uh, of the recovery process. Absolutely. So the brain can rebuild. It's time for our break. Um, thank you so much, Pete. Our topic is our amazing brain, the physiology of recovery. My guest is Pete Katz. We'll be right back. Stay with us on Spirit of Recovery. Chris Michaels, host of Healing Your Life on Unity Online Radio, is an author, life coach, national speaker, and the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Living in Kansas City, Missouri. Through his writing, coaching, and speaking, Chris has helped thousands of people understand the basic spiritual principles that govern our lives. In his book, Your Soul's Assignment, he reminds us that we each have something to do here on Earth, a unique purpose to our lives. If you're interested in discerning what is yours to do, are looking for practical spiritual principles to inspire your life, or coaching to provide you with the tools to live more fully, visit Chris's website at www.chrismichaels.net. That's www.chrismichaels.net. Benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, our topic today is our amazing brain, the physiology of recovery, and my guest is Pete Katz. Pete has been an alcohol and drug counselor for many years. He um, is internationally certified with the um, International Consortium of Addiction uh, Counselors. He has done uh, hundreds of workshops and uh, for people that are uh, either working on their recovery and or for professionals that work for them, and uh, he's just done a lot of work. He's also the founder of Pedro Gatos Institute on Addiction, Health, and Social Theory, and um, he has taught at the college level, at the community college level on pharmacology and addiction theory, and uh, has worked with lots of folks and done a lot of study. So, uh, Pete, before the break, you were telling us about the um, the uh, how the brain does repair itself in a sense, or and if we engage in healthy behaviors in recovery, that it can help the brain um, to get healthy again. As we all know, um, we live in a culture that um, works to hook us a lot, to, to hook us to that instant satisfaction on uh, many levels. So, how does this? Uh, 
how can we deal with that? You know, when people are in recovery and we're living in this culture with a lot of hooks that say, feel better right this second, you know, um, in socially acceptable and maybe, quote, socially not acceptable ways, but it's all out there. How can people in recovery navigate that and uh, keep the brain healthy and yeah. keep in recovery? Well, uh, that's a really great question. Uh, I would say one thing, you know, Reading the daily meditations that so many people do take take us in a direction away from the more materialist world towards the more uh, well, I, I'll use the word spiritual, but really just the, the healthier kind of place. Because it's important that when you talk about addiction theory or just addiction, that it's a multifactorial uh, disorder. There are many factors that shape the probability of whether I will or I will not become chemically dependent, you know, and, um, and all of us have different biochemistries. So all of us are already uh, perhaps uh, more or less vulnerable to developing an addiction. My belief is that we're all capable of developing addiction. It's just that some of us need to work at it harder than others, you know, that type of thing. But, Mm -hmm. One of the main factors that I think is really left out of the equation, at least in my experience of working in the field and working with other, and listening to other presentations and that type of thing, is our our culture. Our what I call it, I really believe it's an, we we have an addictive culture. You mentioned immediate gratification. You know, when you live in a culture that is so wound up and uh, on consumerism. And, uh, and you are the producer of a product that you're trying to get a lot of people to buy, then you're promoting uh, advertising and things, which is totally appropriate, by the way. I mean, that's the nature of, of uh, our economic world in, in this type of system. You're, you're trying to entice people to, to buy uh, your, you know, this product. So, uh, for instance, I just find I like to use the analogy that in our culture, you know, we're 5%, just barely 5% of the world's population, and, you know, we're consuming close to half of the world's uh, drugs, and not all of those are these advanced heart kind of drugs by far or blood pressure, that type of stuff. A lot of it are drugs that, um, for instance, when you watch TV, it's almost like any type of discomfort you feel, we are... We are told from day one through advertising we should medicate, <laughs> and and in fact, you know, pain is a way uh, that the body speaks to us to tell us that there's something wrong. And being in touch with pain is really important. Now, not chronic pain. If someone has really severe pain, we have wonderful, you know, drugs. I mean, these opiate drugs are, you know, God's miracle uh, on how. To, I mean, when you look at a burn victim and and, and the kind of pain that they go through in the in, in, in the process of of their of their treatment of grafting and scraping and all, skin all that you know thank thank God for the for for you know morphine and that type of thing. But what I'm talking about is something much less, just discomforts. And but in our culture, we're taught any type of discomfort. You know, just take this drug. They have a the, an example is just the chili dog commercial. You know, they show a guy uh, eating, you know, four or five chili dogs that's about 180 pounds. And, and, and then there's a guy that will show you a drug that says, hey, take this pill, you know, before you eat four or five chili dogs and you won't have this indigestion. Instead of, you know, hey, moron, you're killing yourself, you know, don't eat the chili dog. But that's the, the – so just to back up then, you know, we're brought up in this deal when in a consumer society – the people that act without thinking and buy without thinking and take without thinking and this and that and the other are the, it just kind of creates that type of uh, environment. So any any type of strategy with our quote unquote war on drugs that's not looking at which basically is our strategy, we're just not really taking in this part of the component is really uh, I think really fail failing us, uh, that addiction does not occur in a vacuum, but actually, uh, you know, occurs in a, uh, you know, in a real uh, type of setting. So um, uh, the other thing I was just going to say that I think people in recovery, I really 
have, uh, when you look at the principles of recovery, I find them profoundly revolutionary. And, and you know, this institute that you mentioned, uh, the Institute on Addiction, Health, and Social Theory that I founded is because I think all of these things are interrelated. You know, you can't attack uh, successfully at least uh, issues of addiction if you're not looking at these uh, other, you know, these other elements of health and, 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 and that type of thing. And so, um, I, you know, for me at least, um, I think in, when I mentioned the revolutionary nature of recovery, the principles that people develop uh, that I've seen um, at these uh, 12-step meetings and that type of thing of vigorous honesty, vigorous responsibility, building character, I mean, real character where, where if you say you're going to do something, you do it, and if you're not going to do it, you pick up the phone and you call and say, sorry, I can't do that because something else has come up, but that type of thing. Um, these are uh, really, really important uh, uh, tools of, I think, leading our species to, uh, you know, towards salvation. That if we don't all start really looking at what is going on in this world around us, just to get that social theory kind of concept of this institute, mainly with the, you know, the climate change and just the you know, threat of all this war and all this stuff going on, this is created by, by human beings. It's not, uh, or, or a good part of it is. And um, I think when you talk to people that are in recovery, uh, they have different opinions on a lot of things, but I just found it to be very, very honest and truth-seeking individuals. And I think that's really um, uh, what, uh, uh, what we need. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to ask you to kind of loop that back into the brain, and I, I don't know if there's a real answer to this, but when people do that, as you're saying, start living by different values, and, and I would call those values of, of wholeness, that, that people are willing to feel some pain physically or emotionally and face it. Again, we're not, as you say, we're not talking about horrible chronic pain, but we're talking about legit, legitimate pain, I guess, uh, and, and willing to, to show up and and do the right thing and that type of thing, willing to, to think. Do you think that has an effect on the brain and vice versa? Do you think the state of the brain has an effect on the ability to take those kind of behaviors? What do you think? Oh, well, well absolutely. I mean, you know, when you, this is not rocket science here. This is, it, it's like how do you get happiness? You know, you don't get happiness by going to the grocery store and asking, you know, what aisle are the cans of happiness sold? I need to get a bunch of it, you know. It, it, it's the outcome of, of what you do in your life, you know, that you, you, or even self-esteem is that way. You don't, you know, there's, in self-esteem, it's important, it's true. Positive self-talk is, is very helpful, you know. But what's more helpful or the most helpful thing or the most important thing is just to go out and try your best and do your best and be a person each day and at the end of the day, your steam goes up and, you know, you've done some good things, or at least you've tried. You know, that's really what I think it is. It's about trying and uh, those types of things. And so, absolutely, that mind-body connection, it comes to the way, you know, you feel better. Uh, or the flip of that is the counterintuitive thing when you're sitting there for someone like uh that has arthritis. You know, you're sitting there, man, if I'm just to move, it hurts. Well, it's very clear that science has shown, medicine has shown, that when you have arthritis, you need to move around as much as you possibly can because that actually helps you feel better, you know. Uh, it helps the condition. So instead of the counterintuitive feeling that, ouch, this hurts, I'm not going to do it, to just sit and not move all day is generally speaking, a, uh, you know, a very, very bad approach to dealing with, you know, arthritic conditions. And, of course, some arthritis is so painful that, you know, I'm not talking about these real chronic, chronic deals. So I, I hope I'm answering your question. For uh, sure. Mainly, I, just, I think the most important thing is behavior. And, and you know that, and people in this field know that, that you, the behavior changes first. And when mm-hmm. they start doing things in a different way, then 
the thinking will start to change, you know, a, a little next. And then ultimately the feeling will change. But when we are in this immediate gratification, like, oh, I've been doing these meetings, or I've been doing this, and I'm really not feeling any different, um, well, you know, give it some time, you know, and, and, and they, that type of thing has generally shown, shown forth. But the behavior is the most important thing, you know, getting up and, you know, and moving. And, if, and, and just as a last comment, um, for me, I, I, you know, we all universalize our own experiences, which is not science, but sometimes mm-hmm. can get us close to the truth. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you're, you're sitting there. I'm a real stubborn person. I mean, there's a lot of emotional immaturities I have, but I'll share that one with you. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out a problem. I can't figure it out. I'm saying, I ain't going to move until I figure out this problem. Uh, well, the truth is, many times we're not going to figure out that problem because we're in a state of mind that won't let us get to the solution. But if you go outside, you mow the lawn for a half hour, get a sweat going or whatever, come back, the problem hasn't changed, but your mind has. And when your mind changes, it may find, and usually does find, a different way of looking at it, and the solution may be much easier to find. But if you're stubborn, you never go out. (laughs) You know, you just sit there and keep, uh, you know, dwelling on uh, on the deal there so um i think the action thing is is uh, and behavior thing is a huge is a huge important piece there right thank you our time is up um our topic today has been our amazing brain and um how our brain and our culture and our environment and our body it really is all connected and um my guest is pete katz and pete i want to thank you so much for uh what you've shared thank you for the work that you do and um truly and your your uh slogan for the pedro gatos uh institute is bringing light into darkness and uh thank you for doing that and you can listen pete's also a radio host and you can listen to him at 91.7 fm and that's ko.op radio but people can listen online too right is that right pete they can at, at koop.org. Uh, bringing light into darkness is uh, it's once a week on Mondays. So, so we're only on once one hour a week. So our motto is uh, don't be late. That's right. Don't be late. And, and can people now, anyhow, uh, listen so to your archive programs? Reverend, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me on your show and for your show and for your station. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week and uh, be the light that you are. We'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting, no more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you are ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Inspiration only takes a moment. 
Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Reverend Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now in the silence to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you. Have faith that your next step, your unfolding, your spiritual growth is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again. Don't take your dreams lying down.